Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts, an evergreen podcasts network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. We are in part two of Rome's worst, or at least Rome's most famously hated uh, emperors this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, we covered Caligula, the third emperor of uh, of Rome. What's your overall opinion of Caligula, Carrie? Not great. Loved the arts. Major <laughs> big supporter of the arts. I, I Last night, I nicknamed the series The Diddler and the Fiddler. Yes, which I loved. It's really a missed opportunity uh, in, in marketing and branding. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Well, I don't and know I, if I would wear that shirt. But. No, I don't. I don't even mean for us. I mean for them back then. What a great <laughs> brand for the Julio-Claudian dynasty. Well, they seem to be very accepting. Yeah, uh, I'm sure Nero is going to be just as bad in a different and maybe some similar ways. Yeah, some similar ways. Uh, remember that this is uh, all taken from the accounts of ancient Roman historians, mostly rich guys who equated. Uh, you know, bad rule with insanity and sexual perversion. So, um, you know, you can only take so much of this at face value, but it does make for a pretty fun reading. And it's, you know, you've heard of Nero. What, what's your context for Nero? What do you know of Nero? The fiddle thing. Uh, mostly, let's see, the fiddle thing. Um, that's mostly because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. What's the fiddle thing? That he had a fiddle. That's it. He fiddled while Rome burned or something? They do say that, yes. Um, And in Buffy, in the musical episode, of course, the musical singing Dancing Demon Sweet says that he gave Nero his very first fiddle. Um, So that might be canon um, historically. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that show is, uh, that's all well-attested historiography, right? Uh, To me it is, yeah. Joss verse. (laughs) Wow. The Buffy verse. Um, so let's see. There's the fiddle thing, and so it's kind of a devil went down to Georgia situation. That's how I always hear it in my head. Great. <laughs> That's really it. I hear that he's bad. He's a bad guy. Bad emperor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Bad boy. Um, ostensibly, something happened that Rome was burning, so that probably wasn't good leadership. Mm-hmm. That's really all I know, though. Okay. Well, so- I knew a little more about Caligula because the movie. Yeah. Which we still haven't watched, but we will. Well, we have to like torrent that or something. I don't know. I don't even know if it's available anywhere. Well, from what I understand, it's very torrid, yes. Okay. Uh, Nero, as he would one day be named, was born Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Malfoy. In 37 AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ruled as emperor of Rome as Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, full name change, uh, from 54 to 68 AD. You get to pick a new name if you want. Well, not pick, but you get to take on a fully new name if you want when somebody adopts you. Okay. Um, but young Lucius was born at Antium in 37 AD. His mother was Agrippina the Younger, who was the great-granddaughter of Augustus and one of the sisters of Caligula, as mm-hmm. you'll remember from last week. Mm-hmm. Her mother was Agrippina the Elder, wouldn't you know it? Mm-hmm. Uh, his dad was a guy named Gnaeus Domitius Ahenobarbus. Uh, do we know that's his dad? Because Caligula be fiddling. Caligula was doing some fiddling, uh, at least according to Suetonius. But um, 
Or no, I think that didn't come until like Cat and... Uh, yeah, Suetonius had him fiddling around with his sisters. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I, I, nobody calls nobody calls his uh, lineage into question. They instead just point to his dad and say, "What a what a shitbag!" Well, they could have done that either way. Uh, Suetonius says Ahenobarbus was irascible and brutal, a man who was in every aspect of his life detestable. Wow! And apparently, after young Lucius, their only son was born. Um, someone congratulated Ahenobarbus, and he said, I don't think anything produced by me and Agrippina could possibly be good for the state or the people. I mean, we like a self-aware king, I guess. Yeah, Domitius was apparently more into uh, chariot races and theater performances, which Suetonius says that he enjoyed, quote, to a degree not befitting his station. Oh. You know how these... uh, like rich noble historians really look down their nose at the charioting and the uh, the music. Yeah, it's like when Eliza Doolittle goes to the horse race in uh, My Fair Lady, and she's oh. like, "Oi, move your arse!" Right, and it's like, "Oh, ladies are supposed to be doing bad bowling on the lawn or something." Mm-hmm. Croquet. When Nero was two years old, his father died, uh, natural causes, died of edema, right around the same time his mother was exiled. Uh, right after an alleged failed plot to kill her brother Caligula. So you'll remember that from last week. Caligula said, "You all tried to kill me," and uh, w- killed one of his one of his old friends and uh, had his two sisters sent away. Mm-hmm. This was after the consuls had forgotten to offer the emperor's birthday prayers. Yes, yeah, petty petty stuff. So little Lucius, the future Nero, had his inheritance taken from him, and he had to go live with his father's sister. Uh, an older aunt, in 41 AD with Caligula's death and kindly Uncle Claudius uh, coming onto the throne, that guy quickly sent for Agrippina and Lavilla, the other sister, uh, to come back from exile. And Agrippina set about finding, you know, a new meal ticket, right? Politically, economically, she needed to attach herself to to somebody. Um, Suetonius says she was... uh, you know, kind of so so desperate and in such a rush to find somebody that she hit on the future emperor Galba, who had just lost his wife. His wife had just died. And she did this with such obviousness and kind of impropriety, kind of just throwing herself at this uh, Well, it was widower. awkward. It was the wife's funeral and everything. Well, eventually Galba's mother accosted her in the street and slapped her in public. <gasps> That's very Game of Thrones. Very. Um, Meanwhile, though, uh, on the bright news side for the family, Claudius had seen his nephew's inheritance reinstated. And when his mom finally did score with a two-time consul named Crispus, who uh, divorced Nero's aunt, I don't think the one he had been living with, a different one, to make the marriage happen. Awkward. Um, And then Crispus died soon after the wedding in Mm. 47, mysteriously. Not so Merry Crispus, after all. Uh, and this guy left Agrippina over 200 million sesterces in his will. And uh, all of a sudden... Well, little... how much is that? In, like, money money? Yeah. I have no clue. Well, what's what's a sesterce? Well... Like, what is it to them? Is it, like, yen or is it euros? You know, is it big or small? Well, put it this way. Everyone thought it was a really big deal when Tiberius had left every man in Rome 75 sesterces on his death. And this was 200 million? Yeah. So, I mean, they could be dollars-ish. Yeah, but I don't know if it would be a big... I mean, 75... I wouldn't say no to 75 dollars. If Joe Biden gave everyone 75 (laughs) bucks cash, people would be into that. I wouldn't say no, but it wouldn't be like... It wouldn't rock my world. Well, so maybe a sesterce is a little better than a dollar. I don't know. 
I don't know the exchange rates on Cistercius. Well, I'm just, you know, I wanted to know. Uh, okay. Well, meanwhile, she didn't have her eyes on the emperor yet because Claudius was married to Agrippina's second cousin, a lady named Valeria Messalina. And she could be an episode all by herself. She's a real piece of work, apparently. Remember, the ancient historians don't like driven women. <laughs> she sounds like an Italian. Uh, she definitely was, uh, <laughs> literally and in character. Uh, she got Agrippina's surviving sister, Lavilla, uh, accused of incest with Seneca, the younger, the Stoic philosopher, who I think we quoted from him a little bit in the Caligula history. Mm-hmm. Um, Lavilla and Seneca would both be sent away. Seneca, by the way, would later, after it was like, okay, you can come back, pal, um, he would work as young Lucius's tutor and be an advisor to Nero, um, until, well, until things broke bad. Mm. Uh, anyway, Tacitus says uh, Messalina sent agents to strangle young Lucius in his sleep. That's Nero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the assassins were scared away when they saw what they thought was a snake sleeping under her, her, uh, his arm. What was it? It just turned out to be a snake skin that a snake had shed. Did he have a pet snake? No. There was just a loose snake. Yeah, it's the kind of stuff that shows up in ancient histories. Like, it doesn't really hold together. Uh, and then Agrippina had this snakeskin uh, encased in a gold bracelet and insisted that Nero wear it all the time. That's kind of baller. It is pretty baller, but it was supposed to protect him, you know, because the snakeskin had supposedly protected him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that was Messalina's kind of character. But in 48, her scheming got the better of her. Uh, and after she had, so the emperor was away on a business trip and she, Claudius at this point. Yep. And she, Messalina had a lover. She was having an affair on him and she that sounds very Messalina. She married this lover in a public ceremony <gasps> and had this whole plan to make that guy the emperor instead. Um, so somebody, you know, obviously went to Claudius and said, Hey, you got to come back and take care of this and, you know, off with her head. Oh my God. So the following year, Claudius married. Agrippina, the, the younger. Younger, okay. Uh, Ooh, is, there's a lot of names, Sean. Who is his niece? Ooh, um, a lot it, of incest, Sean. A lot of incest, and uncle niece is pretty close for comfort for the Romans. Second cousin, totally cool. So, like, even in Roman times, it was like, whoa, hold well, your horses. Well, we just had Seneca get sent off, you know, sent out of Rome because he had supposedly been banging his sister. Well, that's closer. Right. But so th- there was a line where you didn't want to cross. But at the same time... Cousins, cousins are okay. Well, second cousins, definitely. Mm-hmm. Because all of these people are somewhat... Re- you can you, you hear in the names that everyone's related in these stories. Yeah, but even in the British royal family, nowadays we have first cousins banging around. Yeah, uh, for sure. So... But this was too close for blood uh, comfort and was a, it would normally have been a little bit scandalous and... Uh, I don't know, modern historians aren't sure what was going on here, but it seems like Claudius wasn't like, oh, I'm really hot to marry my cousin. Oh, like House of the Dragon? my niece. Yeah, it wasn't like that. (laughs) Um, And it's possible the Senate actually pushed for this marriage because the Julian and Claudian branches of the family had been, the royal family had been fighting since Agrippina the Elder and Tiberius had their whole thing Mm -hmm. at the beginning of our Caligula episode uh, where she said the emperor had killed her husband. And so this uncle-niece action was well-considered pretty gross by the Romans. Um, It was supposed to bring the family back together. I I mean, well, in in some ways it would. You know, keep the family close. Uh, But there was widespread public disapproval at first of this uh, wedding. Okay. Um, But 
Like any politically-minded Roman, Agrippina immediately set about eliminating rivals from the court and consolidating her power. Um, So Lalia Paulina, who we mentioned last week because she was once Caligula's wife, um, you know, you you don't want too many royal women hanging around. So she was charged with sorcery. Uh, the new empress said that Paulina had been entering into forbidden consultation with astrologers. It sounds hot. And she had her property seized and she was exiled without a hearing. Not hot. And then Tacitus says that to add, I guess, injury to insult, uh, a group of Roman soldiers would later follow her to her house and force her to kill herself. The least hot possible. Uh, yeah, not ideal. Obviously implying that was done under Agrippina's orders. Um, meanwhile, she was also trying to arrange a marriage between her son and the emperor's daughter, Claudia Octavia. You figure this is a natural. You want to marry further into the family. You want to uh, solidify those ties. Make sure Nero's going to get on the throne. The problem was she was already engaged to the praetor. Uh, the Octavia was already engaged to a praetor. That's a, you know, whatever, public servant named uh, Lucius Junus Silanus Torquatus. It's quite a name. Uh, they all sound the same. So, okay. So Nero. We can just call him Salinas. They're it's trying okay. to get Nero to marry Octavia, who is the current emperor, Claudius's daughter. Yep. And Nero would be her cousin. Yes. First cousin. Because mm. Claudius is his uncle. Yes, Claudius is his uncle. Yes, so first cousin. So... So I guess first cousin was cool. I told you. Um, yeah, okay. you're right, because the only problem anyone saw with this was that she was already engaged to this Selenus guy. <laughs> Marry your cousin, but, you know, don't break off an engagement. Yeah, don't wreck a home. So Agrippina <laughs> falsely accused Selenus of incest with his sister, as which obviously was the dumb thing at your the Your incest is worse than the incest I want to be happening. And Claudius was forced to strip the guy of his rank and titles. Um, Salinas, he wasn't, for, listen, he wasn't forced to kill himself, right? Um, but he was utterly chased out of public life and he would kill himself the following year. God, that's awful. Meanwhile, Nero and Octavia married in 53 AD. Yay. As Nero's mother pulled a uh, close faction around herself, including the chief secretary, Pallas, the royal doctor, Xenophon, and, uh, Burrus, who was the Praetorian prefect. So is Nero is Nero's mother now married to the emperor Claudius? Yes, okay. So Claudius is his uncle and his stepfather mm-hmm. and his new wife is now his stepsister and cousin. Yes. All true. And that's Roman politics. <laughs> and that's the British royalty as well. <laughs> and uh now Agrippina was not a common thing in Roman politics. She was a genuinely powerful woman. And by 54 AD was like a close second to the emperor in stature, in political choices, in, you know, in everything. Uh, there were coins and statues in Agrippina's likeness all over Rome and the empire. Hmm. Uh, well, and, she's like the first lady. Yeah, but usually they were a little bit more Removed. back. Like she's back in the palace for when the emperor wants to make children. And uh, he does all the business of the state, but she's like kind of making calls. Hmm. Uh, and even soldiers were supposed to obey her and stuff. And most crucially, for her at least, she convinced Claudius to name Lucius, her son, as the heir when he was aged 11. Now, Claudius had sons of his own. Mm. 
And the oldest surviving boy was named Britannicus. He was right around Nero's age, I believe. Maybe a little younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but Britannicus's tutor was this guy named Sisibius, and he oh, had a... Jesus Christ, these names. He had a, But Sisibius, at least... It's like one. watching Game of Thrones, where everyone's Rhaenyra, Rhaenyrus, Reyna. Sisibius. Well, they all end in U.S., basically. Exactly. Or A, if you're a lady. Um, Sisibius had a huge problem with this new will. The, yeah. the tutor of the other son. And so he confronted the empress and uh, obviously she had him summarily executed for treason because that was a thing that she could do all by herself at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, Tiberius Claudius Narcissus. <sighs> okay. A freedman and another praetor. So he used to be a slave, but now he's like a, like a local magistrate. He's, he's really risen up in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, allied himself to Britannicus's cause, to the other son, and he was apparently making plans to reveal Agrippina's affair with Pallas, another freedman and the secretary of the court. Okay, so we got a bit of a Hamilton situation going on. Mm-hmm. But in this case, uh, Agrippina just took care of the... Uh, oh, what was that guy's name in Hamilton? Reynolds. This yeah. is like if So Agrippina just sent Reynolds away to Campania, um, ostensibly because he had gout, and she said that it, she wanted to help, you know, this servant of the empire uh, heal his mm-hmm. ailing, you know, his problems. Shortly after Claudius died, she would order this guy's execution as well. Okay. And Suetonius says near the end of his life, Claudius seemed to start thinking this wasn't such a good call after all, this whole Nero thing and really setting Agrippina up to have so much power. Like maybe I shouldn't have married this one after all. And he seemed to be distancing himself from Agrippina and also starting to get Britannicus ready for rule again. Mm -hmm. And now the emperor had outlived his usefulness to Agrippina, of course. Mm -hmm. So the ancient sources say she may have poisoned Claudius to death at a banquet feast. Classic. Suetonius says that Claudius was poisoned is the general belief, but when it was done and by whom is disputed. Some say that it was his taster, the eunuch Helatus, as he was banqueting on the citadel with the priests. Others, that at a family dinner, Agrippina served the drug to him with her own hand in mushrooms, a dish of which he was extravagantly fond. Reports also differ as to what followed. Many say that as soon as he swallowed the poison, he became speechless, and after suffering excruciating pain all night, died just before dawn. Some say that he first fell into a stupor, then vomited up the whole contents of his overloaded stomach, and was given a second dose, perhaps in gruel, under the pretense he must be refreshed with food after his exhaustion, or administered in syringe, as if he were suffering from a suffet, and required relief by that form of evacuation as well. Hmm. So there's a lot of different (laughs) mini-stories in there, but, you know, uh, he was poisoned, and then either they went like, oh, you gotta eat more, and they shoved some more poison into his face. Yeah. Uh, Or they just went, well, we gotta bleed the emperor, and uh, snuck some some poison into a syringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, arrangements for the funeral and the succession were being made. The government made a huge show of like bringing in comic actors who were supposedly the, en- the emperor was supposed to be br- asking to have entertain him, mm-hmm. like to keep a- up a show of him being alive. Okay. So like, it's as if like Tom Cruise is showing up to the white house, like, Oh yeah, the president wants him to visit, uh, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and meanwhile, Wilson's been dead for like, you know, however long. Wilson? I wanted to go with a president who's not the current president. Oh, yeah. Good play. (laughs) Wilson was uh, 
just a random pick, I guess. And Tom Cruise probably couldn't have met with Wilson. <laughs> well, well, that's why I, you really threw me there, but it's better It's better this way. Let's not dwell on this too long. <laughs> Roman politics is confusing enough. Mm-hmm. And of course, Nero, the heir, now aged 17, was hailed emperor by the soldiers and by the Senate, and most importantly, by the Praetorian Guard. And his mommy. And he set about giving his adopted father a magnificent funeral and eulogy. Mm-hmm. Um, no, really. Everyone, even his detractors, which is everybody, uh, all of them agree. Well, why wouldn't you send him off? Funeral. I mean, his his death is what got you in there. It's kind of like what they just did for the queen. Oops. Just saying. With a young emperor on the throne, Agrippina spent the first year of Nero's reign enjoying now a level of political power unthink unthinkable for a roman woman she held court and heard treaties and cases with the emperor sitting by her side she's cersei yeah and the emperor sitting like below her the little joffrey yeah that's her son like over well she's like delivering justice and making calls uh she would attend senate meetings although she had to be like behind a veil or a curtain and she wasn't allowed to speak but she was for the first time ever, a woman was allowed to be near the Senate meetings and hear what was going on. Mm-hmm. And coins were minted in this first year of his reign that obviously had the emperor's face on one side. And on the other side, there would usually be another portrait of the emperor or maybe one of the gods. Um, but instead, these had Agrippina on the other side. Oh, interesting. Um, she even tried to attend her son's meetings with foreign diplomats. But Seneca, his tutor, and Burrus, the Praetorian prefect, wouldn't hear of that. That was a step too far. The kid's got to make his own decisions somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually, they seemed to try to moderate the influence of his mother on Nero, uh, Seneca and, and Burrus. And they are the ones, supposedly, who introduced Nero to Claudia Acti, his very first mistress that I know of anyway. So he's married to... Octavia. Yes, to his stepsister co- sister cousin, um, and so now he's he's fucking around and finding out. That's right. And Claudia Acti is a freed woman, so she had been born a slave. Uh, certainly, like someone the emperor could never have taken as a wife publicly. Sure. Um, and Seneca felt that male sexual impulses he was a, a philosopher by trade actually before he was brought in to mm-hmm. be this rich kid's tutor um so he felt strongly that sexual impulses were were normal but needed to have an outlet or else you know that's that's how you get a caligula right you're gonna run into sexual scandals and stuff if this guy can't express himself if you will so he thought it was important to introduce um you know, ideally somebody who wouldn't be in society and stuff. So this freed woman was kind of perfect. But Nero really sort of uh, fell for her, apparently. Oh, by the way, Seneca and Burris both agreed, apparently, that it's also great if Nero spends less time with his mother. So sure, give him a girlfriend. Less time with Agrippina would be great. Yeah, well, who knows what they were doing. Um, so this affair was apparently passionate, starting from when Nero was 17 and continuing for the rest of his life. Wow, did he have any other mistresses? Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll talk about them. But um, in this first couple of years, Nero actually had genealogy paperwork forged linking Claudia to royalty and had prepared and even spread some money around, bribed a few ex-consuls to say that the paperwork was legit and, and her like family connections were legit because he was laying groundwork to divorce his wife and marry 
Claudia. Is this kind of like when I wanted our lawyer friend Kevin to make to divorce me? No, official adoption papers for Poe, just because it would be cute. Well, sort of, except it was against the law. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, And when Agrippina found out, she was enraged. But uh, Nero would continue seeing Claudia, you know, secretly and then less secretly for years and years. Um, So she was the main squeeze. She was. The um, Madame du Pompadour. Yeah, there's one other maybe great love in his life who we'll get to a little later on. But um, Well, the fiddle, of course. (laughs) Yes, he did love the liar, by the way. But yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Um, Seneca and Burris would like... Seneca's son or nephew or something would... Still would would like take the fall and say that the the meetings on Nero's calendar were his with Claudia or something like you know he would go like oh yeah no she's here for me mm-hmm. pals mm-hmm. they would both uh, they would stand up stick up for him and made sure that uh, scandal didn't break out amongst the court and uh, uh, mostly that his mother stayed off of his back um, but the beginning of discord between Nero and Agrippina had been sowed. And in the year 55, Nero removed his mother's ally and lover, that freedman Pallas, uh, from his position in the treasury. And Agrippina kind of withdrew from court more and more. Damn. So he cock-blocked his mother. He did. Um, when did he start going by Nero, officially? Uh, as soon as he was adopted by Claudius, he changed his whole name to Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. Uh, Augustus might not have been in there till he was actually... Augustus. Uh, does Nero have any special meaning? Um, no, I don't know. Okay. I don't know what it means. Okay. Now, like Caligula before him, Nero knew that it was important to spend the first year of his reign showing everybody what a good guy he was and raining money on their heads, uh, especially the poor people. I mean, mm-hmm. remember Caligula literally did that. He would stand on his roof and just rain money on their heads. The t-shirt gun, yeah. Uh, Nero lowered or abolished all the biggest taxes in Rome. He, um, this is an interesting one. <laughs> he reduced the reward that you would get for informing on an adulterer. Okay. So I think this had actually started with Augustus, who was really into morality. But if you... Inf- it's like decriminalizing weed. Yes. We all know what's going on here. Right. And it's like... So, I mean, you'll still get paid if you rat on somebody who's cheating on his wife. But you'll get paid less. It, it went down to a quarter of what it used to be. Less incentive. Um, he also, as soon as he came into power, just gave 400 sesterces to every man. So mm-hmm. he's outdoing uh, uh, old Caligula by about triple, I think. Um, all senators who didn't already have property or income got a state income of up to like half a million sesterces a year. So that's where it started. Uh And, uh, free grain for everybody in the Praetorian Guard. You just eat for free. If you're one of the guys who's protecting my life. Okay. There you go. Like Uh, a veteran's discount. Yes. Uh, decades later... The Emperor Trajan would point back to the early years of Nero's reign, hated old Nero, as the prime example of good governance and efficient administration. And modern historians basically all agree that Seneca and Burris were pulling all of the levers on most of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suetonius, by the way, gives us 57 paragraphs on the life of Nero. 
And first, he gives his family background in five paragraphs. Some of the best. Well, because you could just sort of blend together. This was an uncle slash stepfather. This was a sister slash cousin slash wife. You know, some of the best and worst deeds of his ancestors. Mm -hmm. Three paragraphs of biographical information. And then 11 on what he did as emperor. And then paragraph 19 ends... I have brought together these acts of his, some of which are beyond criticism, while others are even deserving of no slight praise, to separate them from his shameful and criminal deeds, of which I shall now proceed to give an account. And then 38 more paragraphs follow. That's how you do it. You, you throw an intermish in there, and then you, you're like, and this is why this guy sucks. Absolutely. This would be a perfect time for our intermission, but I actually need to push us a little further. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> like his uncle Caligula before him. Nero, Nero was a sex pest. He was a sex pest, but he also knew the importance of bread and circuses. Mhm. Well, he's got the grain going. The classic tool of the Roman populist politician. Um and Nero liked the circuses especially, even more than the bread. Uh Suetonius says as as a boy at his lessons, he quote talked constantly about the games in the circus, though he was forbidden to do so. Mm. So he's, Psst, guys, did you see? Did you see when Maximus did that thing where he pulled into the center ring? And, uh, and then his teachers would go like, hey, what are you doing? And he would go, I, we, I was talking about Troy, sir. I was talking about Hector in the Iliad. That's <laughs> Don't a, just say it's a different Maximus. There's like 400 of them. <laughs> um, now, so as the emperor, he made a, a point of attending all games, even the most insignificant, says Suetonius, traveling uh, into the city, no matter which of his country estates he was at, uh, whenever there were races going on in the city. And he pushed for more prizes to be given, which meant there were more performances, like more races in a race day. Mm -hmm. And soon race days went from like, oh, you'd be there for a couple hours, and then the vendors would get their stalls out, to like, all day affairs into the evening, light the torches, and they're racing until late at night. Mm. And Nero could only watch this is with everything he could only watch something for so long before he had to do it himself hmm. and so he learned how to drive a chariot and after he had done a trial run for just slaves and plebs plebs are poor people you know mm -hmm. um just for slaves and plebs in his private gardens he invited them all in and made little mock stands and went yeah watch me ride my chariot around guys um got huge applause of course because it's the emperor and so he drove in a couple of races in the circus maximus in front of you know thousands of screaming uh fans mm -hmm. uh, he once drove in a race with a 10 horse team which can only be described as excessive that's so many for one chariot I would be nervous. That would be like too much literal horsepower. Uh, it was. And Suetonius <laughs> says after he had been thrown from the car and yeah. put back in it, he was unable to hold out and gave up just before the end of the course. He's probably rocking around that Circus Maximus like a rag doll. But he received the crown just the same. Well, of course he did. <laughs> um, as soon as uh, he... So he liked racing, but he loved Carrie. His first love, you said it before, was really not the fiddle... The arts. Because fiddles weren't technically invented yet. But the lyre was Nero's first love. And as soon as he became emperor, Nero sent for Terpnus, who was the best, most famous lyre player in the world. He was the Eddie Van Halen <laughs> of the year 50. Oh, yeah. And he was just like, you live with me now. Edimus Van Halenus. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And so Terpnus just lived with him and played music for him all the time. And before long, the emperor had watching, he had to do it. He started practicing himself, and he apparently took it very seriously. 
quote, for he used to lie upon his back and hold a leaden plate on his chest, purge himself by the syringe and by vomiting, and deny himself fruits and all foods injurious to the voice. Why would he puke? Um, I guess these are like singers' exercises of the day. It's probably not good for your voice, no, but they you thought it was. acid all in there. It's crazy. Um, just playing for himself wasn't enough for Nero. He was often heard by friends to quote the old Greek proverb, hidden music counts for nothing. Mm. And finally, he made his debut, but away from Rome. You have to play the circuit before you're ready for Carnegie Hall, you know, Carrie. Mm -hmm. So uh, Suetonius says, he made his debut at Naples, where he did not cease singing until he had finished the number which he had begun, even though the theater was shaken by a sudden earthquake shock. In the same city, he sang frequently and for several days. Even when he took a short time to rest his voice, he could not keep out of sight, but went to the theater after bathing and dined in the orchestra with the people all around him, promising them in Greek that when he had wetted his whistle a bit, he would ring out something good and loud. He was greatly taken, too, with the rhythmic applause of some Alexandrians who had flocked to Naples from a fleet that had lately arrived and summoned more men from Alexandria. So we've got a frustrated artist who becomes a dictator. He's like, oh, I like the way those guys clap. Get more of those guys. Uh -huh. Just force them to come here, however you need to. <laughs> okay. Nero would invent a new kind of yearly, not yearly, I think it was every four years or something, a, a new kind of festival called the Neronia. <gasps> called Eurovision. No, it was the Neronia. Mm-hmm. And that was where all the greatest musicians of Rome would come and compete for a big prize. So basically, he saw the Olympics and was like, let's make it music-y. Oh, don't worry. He also added music and acting to the Olympics. <gasps> that's, that's pretty dope. I like him so far. I don't know. Um, but I love this. At the first Neronia, the crowd, you know, Nero wasn't going to enter because it wasn't fair for the emperor to do it. But then the crowd started calling for his divine voice. Wouldn't you know it? And so he reluctantly put his name in the lots. And uh, when he was called, quote, having taken his place and finished his preliminary speech, he announced through the ex-consul Cluvius Rufus that, quote, stop, Cluvius Rufus, he would sing Niobe, and he kept at it until late in the afternoon, putting off the award of the prize for that event and postponing the rest of the contest to the next year to have an excuse for singing oftener. But since even that seemed too long to wait, he did not cease to appear in public from time to time. I mean, he's amazing so far. <laughs> I love finishing. Like, he's like, oh, you know what? I got to sing a little bit more. And I mean, we haven't heard had time to hear enough of my sing. Okay. You know what? We call, call it off. We're not doing this in five years. We're doing it next year. And then we'll do the prize. And then I'll finish my singing. Mm -hmm. Now, many of the empire's Greek cities had their own music contests, very similar to the one he had just invented. And soon all of them were sending their yearly prizes to Nero in absentia. Like, he didn't even go to the contest, but they sent him the crown or, or whatever it was. <laughs> and the emperor would move other appointments out of the way, like foreign dignitaries, whatever. He would clear his schedule if the guys with the awards were coming. <laughs> and he would meet with them and he would sing and play his lyre for them after dinner. And they would, you know, lots of applause and, oh, great job, emperor. You, you play amazingly. Um, so he loved that. And soon he had decided to go on an empire-wide tour. This guy's kind of hilarious. I don't know. And he visited all of the Greek islands that had these music contests so he could do all the contests. But they aren't all held in the same year or the same month. Or... <laughs> now they are. Yeah. So he made them reschedule them all. Some of them like had to have a second one in the same year so that he could participate. 
This is amazing. I kind of imagine him as James Marsden in at playing James Marsden in Jury Duty, oh, the show yes. we're watching now. Absolutely. <laughs> He's so fragile and very full of himself, but very charming. Uh, and even though he was handed the prize, literally, at all of these contests, uh, Suetonius says he took it all very seriously. The trepidation and anxiety with which he took part in the contests, his keen rivalry of his opponents, and his awe of the judges can hardly be credited. As if his rivals were of quite the same station as himself, he used to show respect to them and try to gain their favor, while he slandered them behind their backs, sometimes assailed them with abuse when he met them, and even bribed those who were especially proficient. While he was singing, no one was allowed to leave the theater for even the most urgent reasons, and so it is said that some women gave birth to children there, while many who were worn out with listening and applauding secretly leaped from the wall, since gates at the entrance were closed, or feigned death and were carried out as if for burial. This is amazing. This is hilarious. Um, and he loved acting like Uncle Caligula, um, but he took it to new levels. He didn't just like direct other actors on how to act. He, he got on stage all the time in front of big crowds, wearing the masks and the costumes and the whole thing, except like, <laughs> it sounds like no matter what character he was playing, he would have a mask made with his face. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. I don't... We're, we're mad at him. We don't like him. Uh, as to that face, let's describe this man who's jumping around these stages. Uh, per Suetonius, who, remember, doesn't care for Nero. Mm -hmm. Although, Carrie, you saw a statue of Nero on Wikipedia and you went, oh, God. Yeah, it's true. He's no James Marston. <laughs> uh, Suetonius says, he was about the average height. His body marked with spots and malodorous. Oh, God. His hair light blonde. His features regular rather than attractive. His eyes blue and somewhat weak, his neck over thick, his belly prominent, and his legs very slender. He was utterly shameless in the care of his person and his dress, always having his hair arranged in tiers of curls, and during the trip to Greece also letting it grow long and hang down behind his back. <laughs> and he often appeared in public in a dining robe with a handkerchief bound around his neck, ungirt and unshod. I mean, visually, he sounds a little like John Candy, and we love him. Certainly in the in the later stages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's Listen, he's just having a good time. Yeah. The problem is that he's supposed to be running the Empire. Well. It won't surprise you to know that Nero also loved a party. Sure. Um, and the ancient historians say with, you know, their usual snooty sniff that Nero was very fond of... Uh, sort of in Rhaenyra Targaryen style, uh, throwing on a wig or a hat, you know, disguising himself as a commoner and hitting the streets. Oh, God. So many rulers love doing that. Henry VIII loved that. Yep. They love it. And Suetonius says he would often go to a tavern or to, quote, range about playing pranks. <laughs> okay. But these aren't Ashton Kutcher fun pranks. Suetonius says these were the kind of pranks where you start fights with randos, and then if they resist you too hard, you stab them to death, and then throw their bodies in the sewers. It's like that Christopher Walken SNL sketch. You know, and I we, pranked him to death! We don't know that any ep episodes of Punked didn't end that way. That's true. They just didn't make it to air. Yeah. There's standards and practices to deal with. Um, he says Nero would also burglarize stores and then set up his own stall in the marketplace with all the stolen goods. Love that prank. And then take all the money he made and go spend it on booze or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that one doesn't ring that true to me because I think he had plenty of money. But sure. Anyway, he was once uh, apparently beaten almost to death while in disguise by a senator after he, quote, mistreated the man's wife. 
Mm. No elaboration on what that mistreatment was. Hmm. But I bet he was trying to kiss her. What happened to the senator? I don't know. That's all Suetonia says on that. That's hmm. It's probably not a true story. Yeah, well, yeah, because I would think the senator would be like, oh, no, it's you. Um, so as he got deeper into his reign, though, fur- further from his mother, more sure of himself, Nero dropped the sneaking around and, quote, he prolonged his revels from midday to midnight, often livening himself by a warm plunge or, if it were summer, into water cooled with snow. Sometimes, too, he closed the inlets and banqueted in public in the Great Tank, or in the Campus Martius, or in the Circus Maximus, waited on by harlots and dancing girls from all over the city. So kind of a private block party. You block off the streets. Yeah. Just go to the main square and just Nero and his bitches. Yeah, I mean, how is that any different than an actor, uh, you know, buying out the club for the night? It's not, except that it's a public thoroughfare and he's the uh, emperor. Whatever. Now, as I said, Nero was freely feeling his oats, feeling more independent, and there was still one thing in the way of that independence, because as Agrippina saw her power start to dwindle and her son start to slip away, her grip on both of them tightened even more. Mm. And that, Carrie, is all going to come to a head right after the break. Okay. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule, history so interesting, it's criminal. Welcome back. When last we left you, uh, we had just given you a taste of Nero's uh, artistic pursuits, which, Carrie, you're a big fan of. I think he sounds pretty chill so far. And also his uh, party-down lifestyle in the early part of his reign That's here. a bit of a 50-50. The stabbings? That's the other 50, yes. <laughs> and we mentioned that one of the, certainly not a moderating influence, because she was pretty murderous, let's be honest, uh, but a restraining influence and uh, maybe a stifling influence in his life was his mother Agrippina. Mm-hmm. And in the fi- not so younger anymore. Uh, oh, I see. Yes. Cause she's uh, getting up there in years, mm-hmm. but she's still, her mother was Agrippina the elder mm-hmm. in 55. After he had taken her guy palace out of the, his job in the treasury, Nero actually banished Agrippina from the palace, from the palace, from, not from palace. <laughs> Banished Agrippina from the palace. So she ain't getting palace no matter what. Person palace, home palace. Oh, I see what you were doing now. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, there was no keeping her away from palace. Mm-hmm. Right? So you just keep both of them away from the palace. Okay. So his hope was to get more private time with his girlfriend and to keep his wife and mother from getting any closer because they were starting to become friends. And his mother was starting to go like, you really shouldn't do this to Octavia. Um, it's like, you made me marry You made me marry her. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He also took away his mother's guard. So she was now just unprotected out there. Mm. And 
His mother may have begun threatening to side with Britannicus over Nero after Britannicus offered her his protection. Uh, Or, as Suetonius suggests, Nero might just have been jealous of his adopted brother's voice. But either way, he apparently poisoned Britannicus in 55. His his singing voice? Yeah. (laughs) And so he poisoned him. Yeah. Uh, Suetonius says he procured the potion from an arch poisoner, one Locusta. And when, oh, just like share one name. <laughs> yeah, she was seen locust, like locust. Uh, mm. And when the effect was slower than he anticipated, merely physicking Britannicus, he called the woman to him and flogged her with his own hand, charging that she had administered a medicine instead of a poison. And he forced her to mix as swift and instant a poison as she knew how in his own room before his very eyes. Then he tried it on a kid. It me- a, a goat yes. kid? Okay. Yeah, I think so, because it says, and as the animal lingered for five <laughs> well, hours. They didn't treat children very well. Had the mixture steeped again and again, and threw some of it before a pig. No. Oh. The beast instantly fell dead, whereupon he ordered that the poison be taken to the dining room and given to Britannicus. The boy dropped dead at the very first taste, but Nero lied to his guests and declared that he was seized with the falling sickness to which he was subject and the next day had him hastily and unceremoniously buried in a pouring rain. Mm. Another uh, epileptic Ju- Julio-Claudian there. Yeah, well, they're all related. It's like <laughs> yes, the Habsburgs that all have this crazy face, like this weird nose and chin. It's because they're all related. Yeah, didn't they all have um, hemophilia too? Uh, there was a, a genetic line, and that's how it got into the Russians. And When we talk about Rasputin, that'll be very apt to yeah. discuss. Uh, meanwhile, Agrippina had been forced out of the palace, and now the emperor hounded his mother with lawsuits until she'd been forced out of her homes in the city mm. and out into a country estate where he apparently just would pay men to go and yell threats through her window while she was trying to sleep. <laughs> and eventually he got tired of this little game, and she was still kind of being a pain in the ass as he accrued more mistresses. Uh, and so eventually it was time to get her out of the way. And Nero's attempts to murder his mother are some real wily coyote Acme Industries shit. Um, or at the very least, the FBI trying to kill Castro. Yeah, the exploding cigar kind of kind of stuff. So first, light his beard on fire. He'll look ridiculous. Yes, uh, <laughs> it's a direct quote from JFK. <laughs> yes, well, we just watched it. Um, Nero tried to poison Agrippina three times. But Suetonius tells us it turned out Agrippina had, quote, made herself immune by antidotes. And so poison was out. She dread pirate Robert's dead. Yes. Uh, Iocane powder. Iocane. I'd bet my life on it. The emperor then designed a mechanical trap. A trap door in the ceiling. That would would drop her ceiling panels onto her sleeping head uh, after being triggered by some kind of mechanism when she got into the bed. It's like Pee-wee's big adventure. And this plot leaked and Agrippina found out and it was back to the drawing board because she wasn't going to sleep in any beds sent to her by the by the emperor, you know? Uh-huh. So then he designed a collapsible boat. Why? Do, why Just get someone to stab her. Why all the hijinks? He, a collapsible boat that would sink on command, you know, once it was out on the water. And then he invited Agrippina to come to one of his islands. Remember, he's been sending guys to his house just like, we're going to fucking kill you. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, come on, let's bury the hatchet. It's the festival of Minerva. I love you, mom. Why don't you come out and have dinner with me? Mm-hmm. And she does. <sighs> and while they were having dinner, 
Nero had one of his captains out in the harbor. You know, she parks her ship outside, and Nero had one of his captains accidentally, air quotes, ram her ship and destroy it. So it's literally like a Shaun of the Dead with the Jaguar. <laughs> Pranged it. <laughs> Pranged it. Guess we'll have to take the Jag. And I guess we'll have to take the Jag. Nero said, I got, well, you know what? I've got a boat here that I just oh, had built. Jesus. So you can take that, Mom. And then we're told that he anxiously awaited the results of his murder plot. And then a messenger came in a, a rush from his mother's estate you know, breathlessly telling him that Nero's mother's boat had sunk on the way back to her home. But great news. She's a really strong swimmer and she actually survived. And isn't that wonderful? He killed the messenger. Yes, (laughs) he did. He knew it. Well, so Nero apparently (laughs) Suetonius has him taking a dagger out and just dropping it on the ground and then pointing at it and going, you know, kind of doing the whole seize him. Seize him! Thing. <laughs> and then... The gall. And then the emperor immediately sentenced his mother to death as a traitor, saying that this messenger was an assassin. Oh, boy. And he had her, ex, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Pronounced guilty in absentia. Uh-huh. And he was sending men to go and carry out the sentence. Or, no, he sent men to go deliver her charges... And then kill her and make it look like she had received the news and then committed suicide. They loved the making people commit suicide thing. Yes. And when they couldn't actually get them to suicide. Well, it's like a corporate situation or a government firing. Like Suicided. It's, it's prefer. Oh, no. I just mean, I don't, <laughs> I just mean that it's preferable to have, say, someone resigned than to have to fire oh, them. Oh, okay. You know, they'll give them the... Sorry, I've been doing conspiracy stuff for too long. No, I don't, I'm not talking about, like, <laughs> you, like the, 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 the Clinton list or something. <laughs> he was in a car accident, but he also had two gunshot wounds to the head. Yeah, no, that's, that's, those are not the waters that I'm paddling in, my dear. Okay, well, be careful, because you might have a collapsible boat. Uh, Suetonius does add that, quote, trustworthy authorities tell him that Nero rushed to the place of death to see and touch his mother's corpse... And that he admired and criticized the limbs out loud. Like, oh, she had she had nice legs, didn't she? No. Arms are a little skinny, though. That, that kind of thing. Oh, he's a perv. This was 59 AD, and Nero was 22 years old. And how many more years does he have as emperor? 68 is the end. Okay. Less than 10. Less than 10. <laughs> if my math is correct. With his mother out of the way, Nero saw no more point in maintaining the illusion with Octavia. And he divorced her basically right away on the grounds of barrenness. Damn. She hadn't provided him with any children yet. Uh, and that's that's what queens are for, right? So this caused some unrest in the streets because Octavia was actually pretty popular. And she was the daughter of Claudius, who had been popular at least with the people, not so much with the senators. And, you know, kind of a dick move, dude. Mm-hmm. It was kind of widely seen that way. And so Nero wanted to quiet this talk down and he had Octavia banished from the city to try to shut everybody up. Mm-hmm. And Suetonius says, and finally he had her put to death on a charge of adultery that was so shameless and unfounded that when all who were put to torture maintained her innocence, he bribed his former preceptor Anicetus to make a pretended confession that he had violated her chastity by a stratagem. That's pretty much what happened to Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Oh, it's a oh, it's a tale as old as time. Mm. Obviously, tale as old as crime. 
in 62 AD, just 12 days after his divorce from Octavia was final, he married Papea Sabina. Oh. And this was another longtime mistress who Nero appears to have fallen super hard for. This is the other love of his life that I mentioned. Okay. Papea had divorced her husband for one of Nero's buddies right around the time Nero became the emperor. And then she divorced that buddy, Otho. Uh, Not Otho. Otho, Like yes. Beetlejuice? Yeah. I've never heard that name elsewhere. Oh, he was, uh, he will be an emperor of Rome. Okay. She divorced Otho ostensibly just to spend some more time with Nero in the year 59, right around the same time that Agrippina died. Mm-hmm. And they spend more time together. They did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, oh, and by the way, uh, Otho was then exiled in the form, I mean, he was given a governorship. It was like, here, Otho, go be governor of Lusitania. Yeah, what they did to Edward when he abdicated the throne, they made him the governor of the Bahamas. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, I mean, not to him. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Suetonius says that, and remember, he hates Nero, but he says that Nero loved Papea Sabina dearly. But he also says he had her son, Rufrius Crispinus, drowned by his slaves on a fishing trip. Because he had seen the boy playing general and playing emperor. Oh, and he didn't want any rivalry? Yeah. So it was like a, like a seven-year-old boy. And how did Papea react to that? It doesn't say. We don't know if she knew or, or anything. Sounds like an open secret. Um, yeah. So also in 62 AD, the same year he divorced Octavia, Sextus Burrus, that Praetorian prefect, died. And this is the guy that was working with Seneca to basically run shit. Yes. Okay. Suetonius says he was poisoned by Nero, but Suetonius says basically everyone was poisoned by Nero. Modern historians seem to think there's not that much evidence for that. You know, I I worry looking back on something so long ago that, especially since, you know, there's no digital footprint or anything. I mean, this this could all be... False? Untrue, basically. And these are just the accounts that have survived. It's like if QAnon posts were the only remnant of this time period, we would think that Hillary Clinton was under a pizza parlor eating babies. And it's very much one viewpoint. These are like all of the writings that survive are basically from rich people. right? Yeah. I mean, well, that's history, right? But well, but more so at this time, because nobody else could read or write. Yeah, that's true. Even more than now. But like, of course, nowadays you would hope thing there's more records of things, even not digitally, and and just that kind of history would not be lost. But yeah, you have two guys reporting from that time period, and they can put whatever filter they want on it. So, yeah. me, I mean, I'm sure he was a bad emperor, but and af- after you could say whatever you want, and if you're the only surviving account. Yeah, after Augustus, there were basically a bunch of, a string of emperors that the Senate really didn't care for. They were really bad for the Senate. I'm sure some of them were bad, like Caligula and Nero both seem to have been pretty disinterested with running the state. No, I'm sure that they were bad. You know, there are certain things that are indisputable and can be read through history. You know, you can see that, oh, the finances of the place yeah, the city as a whole or the empire as a whole went down during this time and there was mishandling but i think we learned especially with the renaissance poisons episode and um if you want more elaboration go read the book the royal art of poison one of my faves but most 
things that were considered poison back in the day. There there were genuine ones because people were people be murdering each other back in ancient times. Um, but there was also a lot of stuff that they didn't understand, like oh, if you don't pee for two days, you might bust a kidney or something. Like you might bust your bladder. But they thought that guy was poisoned, you know? So some of these people could be dropping dead from just innocuous reasons. Life was hard. A lot of them probably are. And then the sources have various reasons to paint people in various ways, obviously. Mm -hmm. So we have to take all of this with really a grain of salt. I mean, aside from the bare facts. Yes. The the running of we the We don't em- really know what kind of person he was. Right. The running of the Empire stuff, you you would guess that a also remember the Suetonius and Tacitus don't know Nero. Yeah. They're writing fifty years after the fact. Mm-hmm. So it's already been filtered and framed in different ways before they even got the news. By other rich people who weren't fans of Nero. Mm-hmm. Which is surprising because uh he cut all these taxes. Well, that will come to a grinding halt pretty mm. soon. <laughs> Usually does. And also remember that Seneca and Burris probably cut those taxes. Yeah. And Burris is now dead. And Burris is now dead, which is, again, good for nobody. So whether he poisoned Burris or not, Nero was now increasingly paranoid. Mm-hmm. Always a good thing for a leader. And he was ready to remove perceived threats to his power at any pretext. Mm-hmm. And so from this point on, accusations or even rumors of plots are often enough for immediate exile of powerful men uh, or even execution. Mm -hmm. And the first treason trials of Nero's reign begin in 62 in earnest. Okay. With Burris gone and the treason trials starting, Seneca also felt like he had less and less influence over the emperor. And in 62 and then again in 64, he'll actually try to retire and Nero won't let him. That sucks, man. I, I feel like, yeah, that's the point where you go, you know what? I'm out of here. Give me that pension. Yep. I'm going to go Mama Mia at it on some Greek island. I and... think, like, we did some good stuff here, right? Do you want to call it a day? Yeah. Um, You're he... a big boy now, right? But after 62, and especially after 64, he really wasn't seen much at court. Uh, so he is effectively retired at this point. And mm-hmm. apart from the times he's actively sought out for advice by the emperor, which is seldom, uh, Nero's now running the show. Mm-hmm. And Nero was a huge fan of big construction projects, new estates for himself all over Rome. Hmm. He, he was real real estate tycoon, you might say. Yeah, but just for houses for himself, basically, and uh, bridges. He and his uncle Caligula were both fans of bridges, um, and he built some aqueducts, uh, which are good for the city. But then he was also building a giant palace in Rome to connect all of the other royal palaces, <laughs> so he wouldn't have to mm. walk outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was spending like all a rat king of palaces, exactly like a rat king of palaces. Beautiful. How, what a disgusting way to put that. Thank you. Well, I've been if I had a nickel for every time someone said that to me. I'd be very rich. So before too long, Nero had cleared out the empire's treasury to say nothing of its rainy day fund. And uh, a very rainy day was coming, or I guess a very hot day. Because on the night of July 18th of 64 AD... Is this where the flames and the fire... Fire broke out near the Circus Maximus, probably, historians think, in one of the shop stalls on the hill above the circus itself Mm -hmm. where they would sell flammable goods like oil uh, or possibly on the wooden benches of the stadium itself. Um, But Rome of this time 
it wasn't actually much like you see on like the show Rome, HBO's Rome, mm-hmm. where you see a lot of uh, very close stone alleyways. Well, I think that was probably just the requirements of filming. You can't have that expansive of a set. Right. And so you have to film in the, the existing streets, right? Or just to, you know, to get a shot, you can't, you can't always be in wide, so. Right. But those stone alleyways are much more what the city looked like after Nero's reign. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this, it was much more closely packed and almost everything was made of wood. Mm. And that is a bad combination for fire. The fire would burn for seven days. Well, that's what happened in Chicago. Before subsiding and then kicking back up again for three more days. Rome of this time had 14 districts that the city was divided into. Three of them were completely destroyed. Oh, God. And abandoned. And seven more districts were, like, severely damaged. Hmm. The fire was very likely an accident. And even at the time, many people saw it as such. But at the same time, a lot of people wanted to find someone to blame. Yeah. Uh, so Suetonius, it might not surprise you to hear this, Carrie. Suetonius says Nero burned the city to make room for a planned Grand Golden Palace, which would be complete with a colossus-sized statue of himself inside. Mm. Uh, Pliny the Elder and Cassius Dio both say also say Nero ordered guys to burn the city down, and that he then dressed in costume and sang the epic The Sack of Troy against this appropriately dramatic background. And that was the only reason he did it. For for the bit? For the bit, yeah. <laughs> um, Tacitus has a maybe a more reasonable approach here. He says that Nero was actually out of the city at the time. He was out of the city a lot. And he returned to Rome to organize relief efforts and to throw his palace doors open to people who had been left homeless by the fires. But he also says Nero threw the blame for the fire to the Christians, who were a freaky new group of uh, hippies on the scene. Yeah, they were just lighting their joints, man, and poof, it all went up in smoke, man. Well, the only mention, Nero is famous among Christian writers as the first Roman emperor to persecute Christians in large numbers, and um, possibly as the one who ordered Peter and Paul themselves put to death. Mm. Um, Not a good look. Yeah. And uh, he, there's actually connections to Nero in the book of Revelation, where many modern scholars contend, and I strongly agree, that Nero is the beast called 666, um, which we'll get into when we inevitably do an episode on the book of Revelation. Well, if anything, awesome. he would be called Sixtus Sixtus Sixtus. <laughs> Carrie, their names are funny. Ancient Rome joke. But the only mention Suetonius makes of Nero and the Christians is he says he punished the sect called the Christians, and Suetonius says they were known for their mischief, I think. Known for their mischief. But the guy loves mischief. In large numbers. Well, yeah, but Suetonius actually lists that among his good accomplishments for Nero. He's like, he made some good laws, he reduced the taxes. Killed uh, some Christians? He punished some Christians. They were known as troublemakers, so that was good. Um, well, any, I mean, anyone... Preaching peace and love, man, is known as a troublemaker. But Tacitus, well, and there were also rumors of, um, we remember we talked about, I forget which episode it was, werewolves or something uh, random like that. <laughs> we talked about how anti-Semitism has gone hand in hand with rumors of, um, what do they call it? 
basically of baby eating, baby yes. sacrifice uh, yeah, as far back as maybe witches. It, it's also true of anti-Christian hate going back to the very, very beginning of the sect. So uh, it was pretty widely believed at the time. And Suetonius probably believed that Christians like ate babies and stuff. Well, they probably just kind of overheard the whole body and blood part and like, they we're did. eating the, we're eating the body. And it's like, oh, whoa, what, what body are you eating? It's well, like, oh, it's figurative. It's metaphorical, but that, it's also physical. That's very likely part of it. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Big misunderstanding. Um, but Tacitus gives us a little detail on the persecution of Christians after the great fire. First, then the confessed members of the sect were arrested Next, on their disclosures, vast numbers were convicted, not so much on the count of arson as for hatred of the human race. And derision accompanied their end. They were covered with wild beasts' skins and torn to death by dogs. Or they were fastened on crosses and, when the daylight failed, were burned to serve as lamps by night. Nero had offered his gardens for the spectacle and gave an exhibition in his circus, mixing with the crowd in the habit of a charioteer or mounted on his car. Hence, in spite of a guilt which had earned the most exemplary punishment, there arose a sentiment of pity, due to the impression that they were being sacrificed not for the welfare of the state, but the ferocity of a single man. Hmm. So even though... I mean, it is tragic, uh, you know, to say nothing of what came later, the Crusades and, and, the, and Catholicism and, and all of those many sins that were committed in the name of Christianity. I mean, at this point, they're just... Preaching peace and love, man. And, uh, peace and love. Peace and love, peace and love. And it's pretty brutal what happened to these people. Oh, it's horrible. And it's no wonder that Nero becomes the villain of, of Revelation. Uh, sure. Which, again, we'll, we'll get back into. Um, but it does appear, it looks to me like, and again, not a great guy. I think he's just trying to find someone to blame for this fire. Yeah, that makes sense. After the fire, uh, Nero did enforce wider spacing between houses and insisted everything be made of bricks from now on instead of wood. That's kind of what they did in Chicago. Everything got rebuilt in stone and and bigger. Yeah. And um, also, yes, he did build himself a gigantic palace in the area that had been cleared by the fire. And yes, there was a Colossus-sized 120-foot statue of Nero in it. And yes, sure. Suetonius says... All parts were overlaid with gold and adorned with gems and mother of pearl. There were dining rooms with fretted ceilings of ivory whose panels could turn on and shower down flowers and were fitted with pipes for sprinkling the guests with perfumes. The main banquet hall was circular and constantly revolved day and night like the heavens. Sounds like friggin' Hogwarts. He had baths supplied with seawater and sulfur water. When the edifice was finished in this style and he dedicated it, he deigned to say nothing more in the way of approval than that he was at last beginning to be housed like a human being. <laughs> Poor baby. <laughs> so he's, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's got a flair for the dramatic, mm-hmm. uh, our Nero does. Mm-hmm. Dramatic old queen, young queen. Now, all of this post-fire construction was very expensive, and Nero had already bottomed the, taxes, bottomed the treasury out on his other construction projects pre-fire. Mm-hmm. And so now, all those taxes he had cut had to come back along with heavier taxes on top of them on a lot of the most popular goods in Rome. Funny how that works. And a much heavier tax burden on the provinces than the one imposed on the city. Funny how that works. Yeah, they're further away, so they pose less of an immediate danger to your life. Mm-hmm. That said, by 65, with taxes on the rise, the treasury totally bottomed out, 
and rumors of the emperor's behavior getting more and more outrageous. Um, by the way, at the Saturnalia, one of the biggest uh, Roman holidays mm-hmm. in 64, sometime in December 64, uh, he had, as part of the festival, the emperor had participated in a public show wedding to a freedman. To a man. Yeah, a guy named, um, this This was another guy named Narcissus, actually. Jesus. And the emperor appeared as the bride in this uh, ceremony. But it, but it was like, it, it was like all a joke? I mean, he still had a wife. Suetonius relays the story with with the shock as if they had sex there on the stage, but I don't. Right. I think they just did a wedding ceremony as a as a joke, or did he hang around with this narcissist guy all the time after that? I think they did hang around together, but I don't think that he was his wife. Okay, but nonetheless, weird, weird joke, but okay. The powerful men of Rome had decided at this point that in you know, as in that Rasputin song by Boney M. Uh, something had to be done about this outrageous man. Yes. And so an ambitious, powerful senator named Gaius Calpurnius Piso. There was a Piso in our last episode, too. This is a later Piso member of the same shit. family. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, this Piso sought to channel the anger brewing among the elites. And he had roped in a, a Praetorian officer who claimed he could rally the troops to proclaim Piso emperor. And he had gotten some VIP equestrians and senators on board for a smooth transition of power. And he got some soldiers and some servants to do the dirty work and actually kill Nero. Mm-hmm. So they're planning a coup. They're planning a coup. Quick side story, just because I do think it's interesting. There was some lady named Epicarus who was involved tangentially in this uh, conspiracy. She'd heard of it. And she was really gung-ho and thought they weren't moving fast enough. Mm-hmm. So she knew the guy who was commanding the fleet in Naples. And she shot over there. And was like, hey, buddy, how you doing? It sure would be great if there was a little more war happening over here, right? Make a name for yourself. What if, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. What if I knew some guys who wanted to uh, replace the, uh, and then he turned her over to Nero. Mm. And Nero had her tortured on the rack. You know, the old stretch them out I didn't know they had that then. I always think of it as a medieval thing. He says on the rack, and I assume it's the stretchy rack, although it could be she was just put on, like, kind of chained to a board, and then her limbs were broken. That was pretty popular. Um, But I'm picturing it as the stretchy, stretchy. Whatever he did, she didn't care for it, and so... Yeah. When the emperor was having her sent to a second location, they decided she didn't know anything about the conspiracy that was useful. So he sent her, her to a second location to be tortured to death. Uh, you know, more torture, but this time you'll die at the end of it. And we're told that on the way, she strangled herself to death with her own girdle. I can't even think of how I would do that. Yeah, I know. The rest of the conspirators uh, tried to go ahead with the plan, but on an accelerated schedule. But Scavinus, the Praetorian guard who said he could pull this thing off, got ratted out by his slave, and he ended up giving up the rest of the conspirators. Oof. Now, Nero was apparently told that there was a sub-conspiracy within the conspiracy. It's an enigma wrapped inside of a riddle. Uh, Thank you, Joe Pesci from JFK again. You're welcome. Where a bunch of the soldiers who were going along with this actually wanted to instantly murder Piso after Nero and then hand the whole empire over to Seneca. Oh, oh, that was a twist. I thought it was going to be the other guy. Well, Seneca would have been good, right? And Well, it would have been better. Whether this is true or not, and whether Seneca wanted to... He seemed to want to retire and live a quiet life. Um, Whether he wanted this or not, 
both Seneca and his nephew Lucan, the best poet in Rome, and I think the guy who used to stand up for, or, you know, stand in for Nero and uh, make excuses about his, you know, affairs or whatever. Mm -hmm. They were both ordered to commit suicide along with Piso. How can you be ordered to commit suicide? Well, uh, there was this ritual. Why are you killing yourself? Why are you killing yourself? There was a ritual way they were supposed to do it where they opened definitely the two veins in their arms. No, I understand how to do so, but how could you order someone to do it? Well, you you disgraced yourself and the sentence is you have to commit suicide. Or what? We'll kill you. Then kill me. But they'll like grab your arm. But they would, you know, grab your hand, put a knife in it. Why are you killing yourself? Why are you killing yourself? Um, I don't know. The, the, the fascination with suicide. Just, just, just kill him. Just hang him. Just stab him. Yeah, I don't. Why, why this middleman? I don't know. But again, it is. It it does remind me of like how government people will will be asked to resign. Suicided. Or suicided. Hmm. Um, yeah, but asking someone to resign is very different than asking them to kill themselves. At least 15 or so other guys were supposedly executed or forced to kill themselves, along with all of their children, according Oof. to Suetonius. And then there were another dozen or so senators who were exiled from Rome and or had all their property seized by the emperor. Mm-hmm. And there was now only fear and hate left in the relationship between Nero and the Senate. Suetonius says, after this, he showed neither discrimination nor moderation in putting to death whomsoever he pleased on any pretext whatsoever. To mention but a few instances. Salvadanus or Fetus was charged with having let to certain states as headquarters three shops which formed part of his house near the Forum. Cassius Longinus, a blind jurist, with retaining in the old family tree of his house the mark of Gaius Cassius, the assassin of Julius Caesar. Patris Thracia without having a sullen mien like that of a preceptor. To those who were bidden to die, he never granted more than an hour's respite, and to avoid any delay, he brought physicians who were at once to attend to such as lingered, for that was the term he used for killing them by opening their veins. It is even believed that it was his wish to throw living men to be torn to pieces and devoured by a monster of Egyptian birth, who would crunch raw flesh and anything else that was given to him. A person? I don't know. Him? What do you it mean? An like animal a or a person? That sounds like a lion or a leopard to me. I know, but it also sounds like it could be like, what was it? The mountain in Game of Thrones? Or, uh, you know, Egyptian birth. What I really, it sounds to me like a crocodile. I was thinking it's just a big, thick boy that likes eating people. And they call it a monster and not a beast. I, I wonder if it's a big crocodile. Maybe. So I'm going to say he's giving these people to crocodiles. Or he's, but there you get you, uh, that was what you were just asking about, Carrie. He would send a doctor along. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's so, it's so unnecessary. Just, just kill these poor people. Like, don't go through all the hullabaloo. And it was bad for Nero and bad for everyone else that whatever moderating influence Seneca did have was all gone now. In the summer of 65, Nero supposedly came home late from the races one night, drunk, and Papaya Sabino was nagging him about, you know, you gotta, you gotta get home earlier, Nero. Uh, and, you know, you know how women are. And in a rage, mm. and in a rage, the emperor kicked Papaya, who was pregnant with their second child, to death. We're told he was shattered with guilt and grief. Uh, I should mention, you're giving oh, me a boo-hoo. look. Oh, boo-hoo. Modern historians point out 
it's unlikely there were any eyewitnesses to this. Right. And it's totally possible she died in childbirth, just fell down while pregnant, you know, whatever. But but just in case I'm revoking my, this guy sounds dope. He doesn't sound dope anymore now that no. he kicked his wife to death? Yeah, and killed all these Christians and uh, random people for being sullen and, and all that. Well, I'm, I'm out. I'm out when he's done doing Roman Idol or whatever, and he's transitioned into <laughs> just flagrant Mur- abuse of power and murder. That's when I'm out. Uh, we're told he was shattered with guilt and grief over his killing of his wife, and he held a massive state funeral, gave her divine honors, and uh, work started on a temple for her and to recruit people into a cult to worship her for the rest of time. Go fuck. Nero burned as much incense at Papaya Sabina's funeral as Rome usually imported in each year. Okay, all the incense in the world is not going to unkick your wife to death. And then after her death, you need a new wife, right? Don't ask me. So he proposed marriage to Claudius's daughter, Antonia. This is another daughter of Claudius. And also would be his sister-in-law. His sister-in-law, yes. Oi, oi, oi. At least this one was single. <laughs> okay. She was single because Nero had already exiled her husband on suspicion of plotting against him and then sent assassins to kill him in exile. Genuinely, this woman being single was the least of my questions. Um, well, it doesn't matter because Antonia wasn't into it. She refused to marry the emperor. And so he had her charged with inciting revolution and she was executed. Oh, boy. Well, you know what? Sounds like being married to him would have been a nightmare anyway. At the beginning of 66, he married Statilia Messalina. So he's still not marrying his his number one boo. No, Papaya Sabina was. Oh, you mean... Um, the other uh, freed slave couldn't girl. Couldn't do it. She's a freed woman. Oh, that's where he draws the line. Yeah, that would be improper. Uh, okay, Sean. Okay. So instead, he married St- Statilia Messalina, who had been his mistress since the year before mm-hmm. and uh, he had already forced her husband to commit suicide after the Pisonian conspiracy sure why not and so they got married she was his wife for the rest of his life but beautiful a real a real love match but nero was still unable to forget papaya and we're told he became fascinated with a slave boy named sporus hmm and Sporus apparently bore an uncanny resemblance to his dead wife. Papaya yeah, they were Sabina. probably brother and sister knowing everyone in Rome. Well, this is a slave. So a, a brother of Papaya Sabina wouldn't have been a slave. Mm, could have been out of wedlock. Nero had Sporus castrated and married him in the year 67. And apparently he actually sent around for doctors from around the empire to ask if any of them could like make him into a woman, but none of them could handle. None of them could manage that, and uh, he had to settle for castration. And Suetonius says it was actually a popular joke around the time that, uh, well, if Nero's father had married someone more like Sporus, the empire would be in a much better place. Okay, because um, then no Nero. So he publicly marries this. Eunuch? Eunuch. Massive public ceremony. Boy. It's a boy child. Right. Who he has his testicles cut off and then and then marries him. He dresses him up like Papaya Sabina. But does he have another wife at this point? Yes. That's what confuses me. Because bigamy's still not legal. No. and But Messalina also... Here's what I think. He's not allowed to marry Sporus. Not really. Sporus isn't actually a woman. Well, n- No. 
So I think this is kind of a fun thing that he does. And I think Sporus I think Sporus is much closer to his heart than Messalina is. Messalina seems to really take a back seat from this point on. She's not seen in public very much. Um, she won't be with him when he dies. She won't be the one who buries his ashes. But this doesn't seem like it was Sporus's choice. No, certainly I'm not. I'm sure Sporus probably still identified as a boy. Unless he was made to do otherwise. Well, ancient historians say he would appear in public as the emperor's wife, and the emperor was heard to address him always as Papea. Oh, that's dark. To everyone else, Sporus was lady, empress, or mistress, and he was assigned an official mistress of the wardrobe and several other servants and courtiers and generally treated like an empress. That's quite dark. It's horrible. The wife's name? Oof. It's the some- wife that he murdered? And Sporus is mentioned in a lot of these sources. And I, I think it just feel I think this one in some form or another happened. I think Sporus is a, is a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually will later take up with Otho when Otho becomes the emperor. Because remember, Otho had also been married to Papea Sabina, who <gasps> must have been really a fascinating woman. Oh my god, this poor soul. Yeah, no, it's an incredibly sad I mean, story. you know, hmm, no, because this was all done to him. I mean, I was going to say, you know, it's better than other things that could have been done. But no, this is not what he wanted. He didn't identify as a woman. He was forced into this role by multiple creepy men. Ugh. After just the violent castration of it all. Well, of course. Because they would at this, they would also sometimes castrate boys just to keep them pretty or to keep their voices pretty. Singing, yeah. Oof. Um, in spring of '68, remember that the tax burden had been worse in the provinces than in the city, and they weren't happy in the city. Mm-hmm. And in the spring of '68, Vindex and Galba, the governors of Western France and of Spain, you remember Galba, Nero's mom had tried to hit on all the all that time ago. Mm-hmm. They broke into open rebellion against Nero's tax policies. And the emperor was on vacation in Naples when he got the news. And Suetonius' description is not a man in command of himself. Finally, beset by message after message, he returned to Rome in a panic. But on the way, when but slightly encouraged by an insignificant omen, for he noticed a monument on which was sculptured the overthrow of a Gallic soldier by a Roman horseman who was dragging him along by the hair, he leaped for joy at the sight and lifted his hands to heaven. Not even on his arrival did he personally address the Senate or people, but called some of the leading men to his house, and after a hasty consultation, spent the rest of the day exhibiting some water organs of a new and hitherto unknown form, explaining their several features and lecturing on the theory and complexity of each of them. And he even declared that he would presently produce them all in the theater, with the kind permission of Vindex. That's supposed to be sarcastic, I think, because Vindex is the guy who's uh, in revolt against him. Mm-hmm. Thereafter, having learned that Galba also in the Spanish provinces had revolted, he fainted and lay for a long time insensible, without a word and all but dead. When he came to himself, he rent his robe and beat his brow, declaring that it was all over with him. And when his old nurse tried to comfort him by reminding him that similar evils had befallen other princes before him, he declared that unlike all others, he was suffering the unheard of and unparalleled fate of losing the supreme power while he still lived. 
Nevertheless, he did not abandon or amend his slothful and luxurious habits. On the contrary, whenever any good news came in from the provinces, he not only gave lavish feasts, but even ridiculed the leaders of the revolt in verses set to wanton music and accompanied them with gestures. Mm-hmm. Nero sent uh, Virginius, the governor of Germania Superior, which was a Roman province kind of right at where Switzerland and Germany and France all meet. Mm -hmm. That's where that guy was in charge. Uh, He sent Virginius to go take care of this. And Virginius pulled Vindex's legions into an all-out, you know, all-for-nothing battle. All-for... whatever. Into an all-out battle. And won in in this huge, decisive victory. And Virginius's men immediately hailed him emperor and urged him to go and take the throne from Nero. Mm-hmm. Which he didn't do. Virginius was a loyal guy, but this wasn't a good sign. No. And as he comes into contact with Galba, a lot of his men will start switching over to Galba's side because they just don't want to fight for Nero anymore. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. So as Galba remained in open revolt in the West, supported by um, an increasing number of other provincial governors, including our old friend Otho, who Nero cucked back in the day. Yeah. Nero had lost all of the respect of the elites and maybe even the people in Rome because Suetonius says there was now graffiti in the plaza that read, now there's a real contest and you must at last surrender. Ooh, they're getting on his back for Roman idol. And by his singing, Nero stirs up even the Gauls. Ooh, shade. Um... (laughs) Meanwhile, the majority of the senators and then the prefect of the Praetorian Guard were openly against him. Mm-hmm. And the jig was up for Nero. Mm-hmm. He fled Rome briefly, thinking he was going to rouse a fleet in the east. But like, honestly, it sounds like even his closest friends and slaves looked at him and were like, nah, dude. Yeah, because he's, he's cutting them up. No, no, they, they were like, nah, dude, nobody's going to take us out there. Everybody hates you there, too. Yeah. Uh, and one of his friends was said to say, by friends, I mean slaves. It paid friends and, and fed friends. <laughs> like Logan Roy. Friends. One of them said, is it so dreadful a thing then to die? Nero returned to Rome and found his palace deserted, his guards all gone. He tried to visit some, some of his remaining friends and found they had all just abandoned their homes. That's what happens when you stop paying people to be your friend. So he hit the road for one of his freedmen's uh, villa outside the city with just three freedmen and Sporus. And they had to off-road it because it became clear very quickly the emperor was now a fugitive and there were soldiers out looking for him and Praetorians out looking for him. And when they got to the uh, little estate, Nero had the boys dig him a grave just as a letter arrived announcing that he was now a public enemy. And Suetonius says that if public enemies were captured, the traditional punishment was to strip them naked. Make them kill themselves? Nope. And then you'd put their neck in like a wooden vice. And then, uh, so they're in like a forced kneeling position. And Mm -hmm. then they would be beaten to death with uh, rods. Okay. Like metal rods. Um, So Nero produced two daggers and then did a lot of wavering and hesitating and begged his friends like, oh, one of you has to do it first as an example. And they were all like, no, we don't have to do that. And we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And then he begged Sporus to wail and lament and sing for him. And he paced up and down, we're told, and said over and over, oh, what an artist the world loses in me. I think I'm going to put that on my gravestone, though. It's excellent. (laughs) 
And finally, with horsemen at the door to take him alive, Nero drove a dagger into his neck, but only with the help of his secretary, Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus would later be executed for helping Nero kill himself. Oh, brother. By Domitian, by the way, who's the 11th emperor of Rome, because the rulers come and go fast and furious for a little while here. Nero's the fifth. This guy will be executed by the 11th emperor. Like soon after. Yeah, not too long. (laughs) Okay. And Nero died on June 9th of 68, and his body was buried by Claudia Acti, his first love in his family tomb. Now, Suetonius and our grumpy old friend Cassius Dio both say that all of Rome rejoiced with the death of Nero. Mm -hmm. But Tacitus, uh, once again, is a little more measured. And he says, well, the upper classes were all about it. The poor were maybe less so. Mm -hmm. The respectable portion of the people, which was connected with the great families, as well as the dependents and freedmen of condemned and banished persons, were high in hope. The degraded populace, frequenters of the arena and the theater, the most worthless of the slaves, and those who, having wasted their property, were supported by the infamous excesses of Nero, caught eagerly in their dejection at every rumor. Okay, judgy. So, yeah, he's not a fan of the poor. Clearly. (laughs) Um, Defaced statues and paintings and frescoes of Nero, or ones that were actually reworked after his death to depict other people, Mm -hmm. have been found all over the Roman Empire. Um, but so have depictions of Nero that were made long after his death. Mm -hmm. Now, Galba, the guy who was out in Spain, assumed the throne, but nobody liked him very much. Um, now that they didn't have Nero to compare him to. (laughs) And Otho sort of thought this older guy was going to adopt him when he became emperor because Otho was one of his supporters out there. So when that didn't happen, he just murdered Galba Mm. and became the next emperor. So that's seven. At seven, and then two weeks before, th- two weeks before that, on New Year's Day, the legions closer to Rome had said, "Nope, our commander Vitellius is the emperor," and they went into revolt against Galba. So that's a revolt that Otho kind of inherited, mm-hmm. and then lost. So that's like seven point five. Mm-hmm. And then he lost. He lost that. Uh, Otho stabbed himself in the heart. Ninety-one days after taking the throne. So then Vitellius is up, and then Vitellius that's was up. Eight. And then some legions in the east were like, oh, you can do that? Well, then our guy is going to be the emperor. And they made their commander Vespasian emperor. So at this point, 8.5. And then it was brother, you know, civil war style, brother fighting brother across the Italian heartland um, for most of the rest of 69 AD, which is now called the year of the four emperors. Mm. because at the end of December, Vitellius was summarily executed by Vespasian's soldiers as they reached Rome on December 20th. And that was the fourth guy to take the throne in that year. So that's number nine. That's number nine. And then uh, Vespasian's sons, Titus and Domitian, are the next two emperors after that. It's Domitian who will execute that, uh, that one freedman. Wow. Okay. Nero's old backstabbing buddy, Otho, uh, was called Nero by the Roman populace. They would shout it at him in the street because he kind of looked like Nero and because he, he liked spending money and he was sort of effeminate and because soldiers married liked him. Married the same man. They married the same woman and then the same man. Yeah. Um, and compared to the old and out of touch Galba, he was, you know, kind of a throwback to Nero from, you know, last year. Yeah. And so the people started calling him Nero and he kind of liked it. So Otho took that on. Hmm. 
and he was calling himself Nero by the time he was driving a dagger into his heart. Um, both, Og- both Otho and Vitellius made a big deal of publicly honoring and sacrificing to dead Emperor Nero. And Vitellius actually, like the first thing he did when he came into office, into the, you know, into the princeps, was to hold a big old grand funeral, not for Galba, and obviously not for Otho, but for Nero. Um, and so not only was Nero's reputation being rehabilitated really quickly, uh, that implies to me that there was a lot of love for him in the people. Otherwise, what are you, what are you capitalizing on there? Right. And belief continued widespread, especially in the East, because it was a little further away and there was a, the telephone cable was a little longer, right? Um, that Nero had survived or would return from the dead. And this belief would last Ooh. for hundreds of years. A real Elvis. Yeah. St. Augustine wrote about the Nero Redivivus legend as a common belief in, in this was in the 400s AD. Mm. So for hundreds of years, people were like, yeah, but Nero's going to come back and fix everything. And JFK Jr. Clo- yes. I, I say that in a minute here. Closer to his time uh, during the reigns of Vitellius, Titus, and Domitian, minor rebellions would rise up with messy-haired, chubby, round-faced boys playing liars at their heads and claiming to be Nero. <laughs> and this belief in Nero's return, Carrie, yes, is kind of one of the earliest political conspiracy theories that has this death kind of, of clout. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, a political death hoax theory. And um, he provides a similar rallying point to the one that King Arthur would provide later. He's a legendary figure, of course. Uh, uh, of course, Prester John is a legendary figure who kind of fills that role for American explorers. And then, uh, yeah, JFK. And and even Junior. now, QAnon says JFK Jr. Mm-hmm. Is, is coming on back and posting on the internet about sex abuse. So uh, it all comes around, doesn't it, Carrie? The more things change, the more they stay the same. And that is, at oh wow, very long last, the story of Nero. What do you think? I mean, good riddance to him. Liked the artsy vibes, but everything else was pretty bad. Yeah, not a great guy. No. And even if we assume most of this was lies, um, he certainly doesn't seem to have been that interested in, in ruling Rome, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do you see why these two guys, I mean, these, these are two of the earliest emperors, right? In a, uh, in a history that will span hundreds of years. It's interesting that they're still two of the most, uh, remembered. How many? Well, they, they really did memorable things, Sean. They really made a mark. How many Roman emperors can most people name? I think, I think it's Augustus and then these two guys. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about, I could probably name like five. Well, now you've got a couple more. Titus, Vespasian, Otho. Oh, God, yeah. Just I'll just say Lucius, and that'll count for like 10 of them. Yeah, well, Lucius and Gaius, I think you've got you're up to 50%. Yeah, exactly. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe. 
and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. No news today. We're already at a very long episode right now. Sorry. All good stuff. I was so, so interested the whole time, Sean. Well, that was I, not sarcastic. <laughs> well, I hope so. I'm always self-conscious when I uh, uh, wedge uh, ancient history in here. But I think this has enough, you know, murder and, and horrible things to... Oh, I think we're good. To fit our milieu. Yeah. But I did want to share that our merch store... Um, our storefront over on T Public is having a sale right now and through Sunday, I believe. Uh, all classic tees are $16 and everything else is up to 35% off. Oh, that's fantastic. So people could get um, Stop Fat Shaming Bigfoot t-shirts. Yes. So we have a bunch of designs there already designed by our lovely artist, Alyssa, who did our cover art and also some designs that I put together. Um, you can get our cover art, you can get Stop Fat Shaming Bigfoot, uh, there's plenty that you can get a shirt with Poe, our dog on it, if you would like. There's also some Memento Mori type designs and, um, spontaneous human combustion. I mean, there's, there's all fun stuff and you can get those on a variety of things, not just shirts. You can get water bottles, notebooks, masks, whatever. Fresno Nightcrawler stuff, Mothman stuff. Yeah. So to... To find the link for that, our tracked link is in the description for this episode, and it's in the description for every episode. You can go also to uh, bit.ly slash 3unjxos. We're reading off a bit.ly link. Okay. We are because the the regular link is super long. Um, so you can go to that. You can go to our website, aintitscary.com, and right at the top, you can get a link to the store, or you could just go to Tee Public and search Ain't It Scary Podcast, and that'll bring you to our storefront. Absolutely. I love my Ain't It Scary shirt, and that's not just because I'm uh, on the show. Yeah. That, I mean, you can get like a really nice heathered soft shirt. Um, it's it's good stuff. You know what? They're, they are good shirts, too. It's none of this Gildan bullshit. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, head on over there. Um, we're adding new designs all the time. We really amped it up recently, so it's it's pretty up to date with a lot of fun stuff, and it's all on sale now. So, yeah, head over to Tee Public, Ain't It Scary Podcast storefront, links in our episode description. Uh, we'll post it on Twitter. I mean, it, it'll be around if you need it. And that's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google Voice number, 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And special thanks to those of you already joining us over there on Patreon. You know that we love you, our top-tier patrons, <laughs> Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Aussie Sean Downs, Ryan, Enrique, and our newest top-tier patron, Derek 
Welcome to the Scary Squad, my man. Yeah, we uh, have a message out to you, Derek, and we're looking to send you some freebies, which we do to all of our top tier patrons um, via the mail. So yeah, get back to us and thanks for joining. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe, music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Ain't It Scary has been brought to you by Killer Podcasts and is a production of Longboy Media. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.